Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Rural Podcast with me, Phil Kittramelides, and Dr. Sidlow. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right, pal. You? Yeah, not too bad. It's Monday, so you know. You're a bit stressed, aren't you? I can can tell. It's been been a long day, hasn't it? It's always been a long day on Monday, but if you add to that that you've got Champions League going on at the same time and just that sort of... um, the sort of the juggling act, but there you go. Yes. Okay. Um, I've gotten away from the maddening crowd this week. The, the one week where there are two Champions League matches in Madrid is the week that my missus decides to book a family holiday to Lanzarote. So here I am, very far away from Madrid and, and the Champions League action. But but still, I'm still here with you in spirit, and we're uh, casting this pod. So let's get to it. Um, match day twenty, match day thirty-one uh, in La Liga uh, finished uh, is going to finish on Monday night with Rio against Valencia. Prior to that, we've had nine games. It all kicked off on Friday with a six-goal thriller, words not usually associated with matches involving Sevilla, but they beat Granada by four goals to two, a really dramatic end uh, to that game. There was a dramatic end to another Andalusian derby on Saturday as uh, Betis came from behind, scoring twice in the last 12 minutes to beat Cadiz 2-1. That saw Cadiz drop into the bottom three because Mallorca beat Atletico Madrid by a goal to nil. They've done the double over Atleti. Uh, an extraordinary game, really, in terms of statistics. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Villarreal made 11 changes to the side that beat Bayern Munich and drew 1-1 with Athletic Club. And Real Madrid uh, made a few changes of their own, but still comfortably beat Getafe uh, 2-0 to move 12 points clear at the top of the table. Then on Sunday, Osasuna scored late on to beat uh, Alaves 1-0. Espanyol also scored late on to beat Celta by the same scoreline. Uh, La Real beat Elche 2-1 at the Estadio Martínez Valero and there was one of the games of the season at the Ciudad de Valencia Stadium between Levante and Barca which Barca ended up winning somehow by three goals to two. If Levante do go down, we're going to miss these Levante-Barca games because they have been absolutely tremendous over the last few years. Uh, Over on our Patreon, we released a new episode of TSFP Presents at the Games on Friday discussing visiting and watching football in... Oviedo and Gijón. And this week, as always, we'll have a Q&A pod out on Tuesday and a bonus pod on Friday talking Champions League games for Villarreal, Madrid and Atleti plus Barca in the Europa League. Join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's just over four euros a month. Sid, we're going to start off by talking about that amazing game between Levante and Barcelona. As we said, Barca ending up winning it 3-2 with an injury time winner from Luc de Jong. It was incredibly fun, and you're watching this game, particularly in the first half, and you're thinking, how have Levante been bottom for basically all the season? They attack absolutely brilliantly. It doesn't make any sense at all, does it? And all the way through the year, we, we kept saying that they're they a really good team, and not just because they have some good players, and I think that's quite often you know, the case that you'll see a team that's struggling, but you'll look at two or three of the players and think, 
they shouldn't be this bad. The thing that I think is striking about Levante is you watch the way that they attack collectively and they look like a good team. It's not just a boot up the pitch and, and, and let someone very good run after it. Although there's an element of that, of course, with Morales because he's so quick and actually he's quite good when the ball is into space. But they've played some really nice football over the years. It is true that this is an ageing team now. It is true that this is a team that defensively have been really, really poor for most of the season. But they still, given where they were, probably shouldn't be in this position. Although I, I do think it's a team with some very, very significant flaws running, running all the way through it. But as you say, I think the kind of the lasting feeling more than anything else is that this is a team that's a lot of fun. Hmm. And it, they are almost certain to go down now. This felt like a kind of a last chance. But I suppose the problem is that we always think it's a last chance. Every game feels definitive. It's, it's a final. Every game is a final. And I suppose if you have that kind of discourse, then when you lose, you're out. But then you're not out because it's another week to go. But the truth is those opportunities are slipping away from them. They're a long way from, from safety now. Um, but we're going to miss them because they were, a, they were a lot of fun. And Morales almost scored what would have been the goal of the season. It was cleared off the line. He dribbles through, right through the middle of the Barcelona defence. Um, it would have just been glorious. Uh, producer Al's put here in the production notes a very pertinent question, one I hadn't really considered prior to this, but where does El Comandante Morales rank in the list of best Spanish players never to play for Spain? It's very difficult because the word never is obviously is so big. Um, <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm struggling to think of, of, of others. I think he, it feels like he's very high. I always felt that Gabby, of course, the Atletico Madrid captain, yes. uh, should have played with Spain. Xavi Prieto, maybe? Xavi Prieto's a very good shout. I don't think yeah. he did. Um, yeah. But Morales... But listen, Morales... Morales I mean, has got yeah. to be in the list somewhere, hasn't he? Um, yeah, he may well be. I mean, those are the three that I can think of. So I suppose, yeah. you know, as, a, as an answer off the top of my head, he's top three. Mm. <laughs> uh, as we said, Levante, uh, tremendous fun. They've got a really difficult run in, actually. They've got, you know, a final uh, next weekend away to Granada. Then they've got Sevilla, Valencia, Real Sociedad, <laughs> Real Madrid as well. So, um, yeah, they're, uh, really they're, they're, they're almost, I mean, they are gone, aren't they're they, almost to be honest, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. well, I, I suppose uh, there's another question, which is whether what they've done in the last three or four weeks says that Lissy stays next year and carries on mm. in the second division rather than get seen as someone to see him through to the end, inevitably go down and then inevitably get forgotten. I think he may have demonstrated enough to make... And they liked him anyway at, at Levante. You know, there's, there was a real sense that someone really capable and talented was emerging as a coach there. And I wonder if this maybe now means that next season, rather than do the obvious thing, which we all thought was that Luis Garcia would go back, I wonder if now they might look at this and think, well, actually, perhaps Alessio Lissi can continue. Uh, Barca weren't great in this game, but they did manage to win. Uh, they had three penalties uh, called against them for the first time this season. First time this season that they've given away a penalty and, and three come along in the same game. But I don't think we're going to get into the discussion of whether or not they were penalties or, or, or not, because it's a, it's a little bit boring. But what we can say is that Pedri and Gabby came off the bench and mm. changed the game, didn't they? Completely. Um... And, and admittedly, it then slipped away from them again. But the, the, the sense of them taking a degree of control was almost immediate when those two went on the pitch. It's true, though, and I think this is why it's important we don't kind of overplay this. It's true that that sense of control then kind of faded away from them again. And the last 15 minutes were wild. Mm -hmm. The game was very, very open, very much from one end to the other. And so I suppose I don't want to overplay that. But, but the way that they combined for the goal was, was just brilliant. Uh, really nice first-time finish from Pedri. And by the way, here's the thing that, that I was wondering about last night. We've likened Pedri to Iniesta. Uh, Iniesta didn't score a lot of goals. 
if Pedri's going to actually start scoring goals as well, mm. it's two weeks in a row now. Now, I know that you know one swallow does make a summer and all that sort of stuff. But if this is a guy that's going to get, let's say, for argument's sake, seven, eight, nine goals a season, we're talking about a, a, an extra, I mean, he's an extraordinary footballer anyway, but a, a real step again. Just just incredible, really. Uh, do you think this is something that has been clearly spoken to him uh, yes. by, by, by the manager saying, listen, you, you can get more goals. I need you to get more goals. Yes, absolutely. But of course, there's a difference between speaking to a player and him actually being able to do it. Mm. Uh, first of all, because you've got to speak to him and then he's got to understand and, and, and do the runs that put him in the positions to score those goals. Then he's got to have the capacity to finish. Then he's got to have the luck that the chances drop his way. There's lots of reasons. Um, so, for example, I mean, you know, people used to say to Andres Iniesta, you need to shoot a bit more, except before the European Cup final in Rome when he was told not to shoot because it would tear the muscle. And he spent the whole game with a muscle that couldn't kick a ball hard and still play brilliantly. Um, but yes, it, it is part of it. He said last night, I think that both Luis Embrique and and Chabi had said to him that, that he needed to shoot and get into the area more. And and wow, if if that is added to what's already an incredible skill set, then poof. Um, I didn't realise how few goals Andres Iniesta actually scored. In the back of my mind, I always thought that he was someone who chipped in with, with quite a healthy number, but you're absolutely right. His Very top scoring few. season in La Liga was 2010-2011 with eight goals. And then after that, two, three, three, zero, one, zero, one. Um, yeah, he, he wasn't someone who got goals, even though he was... The thing is, of course, magician. the goals he got were massive ones. I mean, the, so you've got, you've got Stamford yeah. Bridge and you've got the World Cup final. Yeah, and, and, there, and there was someone else as well, a little largey fella banging in the goals as well. So. Yeah, he got quite a few yeah yeah didn't didn't matter too much how important is this kind of result for Barcelona because they're not going to win the league are they but it's important for them to to finish the season well and, and continue in a positive vein under under Xavi yeah I mean I think we we said this a little bit after the Clasico that what the Clasico did I think was show that they were going to compete for the league not this season but next and I think this is about the continuation of that now Obviously, we don't know what will happen in the summer. We don't know if they will continue because maybe there's a sense of short-termism that gives them the dynamism to continue for this season and it might be harder to pick that up next year. Although I personally think that with a pre-season and with the kind of work that Xavi does and the sort of the intensity of the way that he works and the almost, if you like, the... Um, I don't know what you'd call it. I suppose the... the, the the, the competitiveness with the way that he coaches and, and the ideas and the fact that he's a bit different, I think, in the way that he sets the team up to, to some managers. In theory, they should be better next year. But, and Sunday was a good illustration of this, there's still the chance that they won't have Dembélé next year. Mm. And I think he's really quite important. This is a guy that is now joint top assist provider in La Liga, having basically played, what, half the season? Uh, not even, I don't think. I think it's yeah. something like 14 appearances or something for, for yeah. Mbele. So, uh, yeah, 11 assists in, in 14 appearances. Uh, pretty important. Let's see whether or not he is there uh, next season. Uh, if there's something you want us to talk about about Barcelona, send us a question. We'll deal with it on the Q&A pod uh, tomorrow. But we are going to move on because uh, we've got lots of other stuff to try and fit in on today's programme. We're going to talk about Atletico Madrid and that 1-0 defeat against Mallorca. It was genuinely very bad from Atletico Madrid. They built up so much momentum uh, with those six consecutive wins uh, going through in the Champions League. Okay, they did lose to to Manchester City, but that kind of result against Manchester City, I think is broadly accepted by Atletico Madrid fans if they then don't play similarly against a Mallorca side who had lost seven consecutive games and, and hadn't kept a clean sheet in four months. Atleti, one shot on target in the whole game, and it was a relatively tame Luis Suarez header. They looked genuinely 
toothless in this game. There was there was no threat at all. João Felix was was rested, and it was Griezmann and, and Luis Suarez up front. But it was it was quite startling how how poor they were. Yeah, it really was. Um, I suppose. Look in the context of what's coming up. Maybe you can say that there's an inevitability about it. I also think you can look at it from a stylistic point of view, and you know this is a recurring theme all the way through this season and last season and the two or three seasons before, in fact, that if you have if you embrace the idea of being defensively strong, of trying to get a goal, you know, either on the break or from a set play, and that one goal is enough, then perhaps in games when you are invited to carry the weight of the game, maybe you are not effectively, I don't know, sufficiently prepared for that kind of game or, or you're not set up in a way that's conducive to creating those kind of chances. And I suppose that's the doubt um, with Atletico Madrid. And I think this is borne out by their results this season. They've been beaten by Levante. They've been beaten twice now by Mallorca. They've been beaten by Alaves. That's the bottom three. That's the bottom three. <laughs> you know, they, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary, really. And, and, and I think that is... It's about poor performances in those games, but it's also about kind of identities and approaches and the mechanics of those games how you go about them I do again I I do think the context of the European game has a part to play in this Mm -hmm. I think the way that Mallorca effectively said you have the ball and we're not even going to attack we're not going to give you the chance to run a counter-attack and anyway if you're running a counter-attack as we've talked about lots of times Luis Suarez maybe isn't the man to run them for you (laughs) but you know I I don't want to point this on 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 Suarez necessarily as well because you're looking at Griezmann who I think has gone nine games without a goal it's not like they're creating, you know, everyone else is creating. The absence of Jao Felix is important, I think, and we've seen that in recent weeks. But it just kind of feels to me that I feel like any analysis of this has to start with that asterisk that says game that no one really cared about. And I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to put all the analysis on that because I think that would be unfair because I think there are deeper things going on. But I think, I think that is well, part of it. Well, they bloody should care about it because they're well, they down should. to fourth. Of course. Uh, of Betis course. are just a point behind them. Real Sociedad yes. is three points behind them. They haven't got Champions League football wrapped up for next season by any stretch of the imagination. No, absolutely right. And uh, it was a, a really lacklustre performance from uh, Atletico Madrid. Not so from Mallorca who under Javier El Pascuaguirre uh, got their first win uh, for quite some time. They lost last weekend in Aguirre's first match in charge against Getafe, but uh, picking up a, a victory. Um, there were lots of interesting things that Aguirre said after this game. One of them was about Taki Kubo. Um, he was asked why Kubo didn't start, and he gave a very telling answer, not just about Taki Kubo, but about how Aguirre works as a manager. And he said, all week I saw him train, and I didn't like how he trained. He was training as if he knew he was going to start, and he was apatico, was one of the words that he used. And I said, no, no, you think you're going to start? You're not going to start. And he started Kangin Lee instead. Then Taco Kubo came on in the second half and actually looked quite, as they say in Spanish, enchufado, switched on, plugged in, ready to, to make a, uh, an impact. And it just gives you a little glimpse into how Aguirre works and his man management style as well. That's the perfect glimpse of him. Um, as you say, there was lots of things that he said which were interesting after this game. He's always someone who says interesting things. And I think what he says about Taco Kubo is interesting because of the content. And I think it's interesting because of the very fact that he said it. Because that's one of the things about Aguirre. He will come out and say very clearly, very directly, and effectively, I think it's a way of saying to his players, you're not going to be able to hide. And so, as you say, it's about his approach, which is right. Everybody fights for every ball. We have to... There was a nice thing that he said after the Getafe game. It was there last week. Um, 
And he said, look, we have to know where we are. We have to know what position we are in. And we can't keep on playing as if there isn't a problem, because there is. You know, we can't play as if no pasa nada, porque si pasa, si pasa. There is something wrong and we need to, to go about that. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be particularly attractive. And of course, last weekend they were beaten 1-0 in a game with virtually no chances and Getafe score it. This weekend they win 1-0 in a game with virtually no chances and they score it. From, and I know me and you slightly disagree on this, but it doesn't really matter, but from a, from a, from a very light penalty or from a penalty in which nothing very much is happening. It's not like it's Apart a from clear... Apart from stepping on his... Yeah, face, yeah, but, but, yeah, but what yeah. I mean is... The, the, uh, no, we disagree on this one, but what I mean is that <laughs> the, 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 it's not like it's a tackle when the other team's about to score. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a penalty out of not very much, so it's sort of a gift. Yeah. But Aguirre was asked this last week, and he was asked again this week, and I think it, it was interesting because both times he was... I wouldn't call it snappy, but he was just sort of a bit like, come on, are you, are you seriously going to be asking me about the style? It's not about the style at the moment. Uh, we've only been here, I think he's been in charge for 21 days. Um, only two games. It's too early to ask about style in any way. And as he says, we needed to stop the bleeding. The number of goals we were letting in was too many. It's about intensity. It's about com- competing. And as he said last week, and this was something that I asked him about, is it's much more about the psychology of it now. It's about getting the players to realise a, and it's, it's slightly contradictory, this. A, that they're good and they can play football. But B, that they bloody, know well, that know, bloody well know where they are, right? You don't mess around, you go for this. And you're, you're right, I think the, the discussion of Kuba was really, really interesting to say, look, I was going to play him. We were training as if he was a starter and then he acted as if he was a starter. And so at that point, boom, you're not a starter anymore. And then as you say, he came on and, and he played very well. Hmm. Uh, it is very tight at the bottom. Mallorca currently out of the relegation zone, a point above Cadiz. Listen, it looks like Alaves and Levante are down. They're both seven points from safety. But then there's Cadiz, Mallorca, Granada, Elche, Getafe and Rio all separated by just five points. It's actually yeah. really tight for that final Yeah, and, and also look at, look at what happened this weekend which gives you, I think, a, a nice indication of how tight it is. So Mallorca are the only team in the bottom nine, as the bottom line currently stands, rather than as the bottom line did stand, that won at the weekend. You get Granada dropping from 2-2 to 4-2 in the 93rd and 99th minute, the two goals. You get Cadiz conceding on the 79th and the 85th to drop points. Now, Elche is slightly different because they concede very early on, but they were 1-0 up and lost 2-1. Alaves conceded in the 93rd minute. Levante conceded in the 92nd minute. So you've got this sort of sense that this weekend, everything went Mallorca's way. And as you're right, it's really, really tightened up. But it does feel like, I think you're right, that both Alaves and, and Levante have gone. But the other one is going to be really tight. Because you know, Elche was safe and they've now lost five out of six. So are Rio, bruv. Yes. <laughs> and we're still yeah. not safe. Although yeah. let's see what happens tonight against... Uh against Valencia. Let's talk Real Madrid and their 2-0 win against Getafe. Carlo Ancelotti finally did a bit of squad rotation. Cruz and Modric got rested. In came Camavinga and Valverde. We also saw Marcelo play a game of football, coming in for Ferland Mendy, who wasn't quite fully fit, so wasn't wrist. And Marcelo did pretty well. I sound surprised because he hasn't necessarily been at his peak uh, performance for for a while. But it was nice to see him come in and remind us that he's actually a technically very good footballer. But more importantly, I think for Real Madrid was the performances of of Camavinga and Fede Valverde, who who showed that you know what they are actually useful as alternatives to to Modric and Cross. They're ready now to come into that side, aren't they? I think they are. Um, and I suppose I would add another word. You've used alternatives. They're also, as, as of course Valverde showed in London, uh, accompaniments to them. 
Now, I know that's not the way that Ancelotti largely wants to play. He wants a three-man midfield, but I think we will again get a four-man midfield against Chelsea. Uh, I think one of the reasons why they could avoid the idea of this being a trap of a game, as and Ancelotti used that word, was partly because one or two of the players, and in particular those two, Camavinga and Valverde, would have been playing thinking there is possibly a place up for grabs here in the Champions League game. I thought, I thought Ancelotti might have made even more changes. I thought he might have not risked Vinicius or Benzema. Um, I thought he might not have even risked Casemiro, given that Casemiro was a yellow card away from missing the Seville game, which, of course, is what happened in the end. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think that, and we know that those two are really good players. And this is a recurring theme with us that we, we keep saying, I feel like those two need to play. I feel like this midfield needs to be rejuvenated. It needs a little bit of energy. But then when it comes to it, you got really, really good players ahead of them. And I don't know about you, but I felt this watching the game against Chelsea. I just think Real Madrid, when those players are at their best, and to be fair, they're not often they're not at their best all the time. Real Madrid, I just think, have more superlative players than Chelsea, more you know, ultra elite players than Chelsea. You know, you players that you might say if, if if at some point, maybe not anymore, but if at some point you're saying, are they among the very best in the world? In the Real Madrid team, you'd say Cruz, yeah, Modric, yeah, Casemiro in his position, possibly, Benzema, yeah, Alaba, yeah, um, or, or maybe, yeah, and Courtois, definitely, right? Yeah. And that's six. Mm. And I look at the Chelsea team, and to be honest, Kante, Mendy, or the goalkeeper, yeah. I must admit, I'm not overly convinced by him, but yeah, okay. okay. People say, um, but, people say, people say yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, I just sort of don't see it. And this is one of the things, I suppose, about the Champions League with Real Madrid, mm-hmm. is that even if this is a team that isn't performing really well all the time, the quality of the players they've got is 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 incredibly high still. Speaking of incredibly high quality players, <laughs> Vinicius turned into Luka Modric in setting up Casemiro's oh, opening pass. goal. <laughs> the ball, the outside of the boot. I'm, I'm not sure I expected Vinicius to be able to do that. Does that sound bad? Um, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was in his locker. Well, I don't think out. I've ever seen him play a pass like that before. No, no. I mean, of but that type, there. let alone as well delivered as that, as well executed as that. And I'm not sure I've seen him try that pass before, let alone complete it. Ah, well, maybe that's an interesting point, actually. You know, the fact that he is trying yes, stuff like that. quite possibly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Casemiro scoring his first league goal of the season. Scored six last season. Uh, really chipped in with some uh, important goals. Uh, hadn't done so this season. And it was nice to see... It was nice to see the way that they celebrated. I don't know. I get the feeling that there's this... OK, this might be a little bit sort of wishy-washy and esoteric. But I don't know, man. It feels like there is quite a lot of team spirit among the Real is. Madrid squad. There is, isn't there? I think there is. And I think that's partly about the character of, uh, of the players. I think it's about the environment that Ancelotti creates as well. Of course, it's also about results. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it is true that um, we, we tend to look at it and say a team that gets on really well wins games. Well, sometimes it's the other way around. Winning games helps the team get on well. But you look at the Real Madrid team and, and, and you know, obviously we know quite a lot of these players and, and quite a lot of them have been there for a very long time. There aren't really tossers in that team, put bluntly. You know? and, and most football teams have a few tossers in them. Um, and I'm not sure that Real Madrid do. I'm trying to think, you know, <laughs> go through the squad one by one. Nah, fair enough. Let's not do that. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, Gareth Bale came on and played this first game at the Bernabeu for two years and got the kind of reception from the fans that we were kind of expecting. The boos aren't really news, really, or not necessarily even that interesting. It's just something that is going to happen now every time he plays in front of uh, Real Madrid fans between now and the end of... 
his Real Madrid career. It's interesting that Ancelotti does seem quite sort of keen to have him as the backup to Benzema or, or certainly use him when he wants to give Benzema a bit of a rest. And that is why um, that is why he why he played. Um, mm. I was asked about this on Saturday night. I was like, well, you know, why is Ancelotti doing this? Why is he exposing him to, to these whistles? And the very simple answer, which is the one I gave, is because he's going to need him. And so you've got to do this at some point, so why not do it now? I actually felt that while it was very loud when he first came on, it, was, it didn't feel as vicious as I was expecting it to. And I was sitting at the north end of the ground behind the goal, um, yeah. and there was a sort of a little smattering of applause a couple of times when he tried things. There were a few people trying to kind of counteract the whistles. I think there's an awareness, and this has been very definitely borne out today by what um, Casemiro has said in the pre-Champions League press conference, and I think it was borne out a little bit although that was much more wishy-washy by Marcelo after the game about saying, you know, look, we don't like it. We're all in this together. We've got, to, we've got important things coming up. And I actually think the fans know that, that in a way there are important things coming up. And so maybe this is a game to get it out of your system and then you don't boo him if he happens to come on against Chelsea. Um, yeah. And the, 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 the other half of that answer as to why was he played, because, as you've pointed out, Ancelotti needs him. And he needs him for two very fundamental reasons. And those two reasons are Jovic and Mariano. And for whatever reason, um, Ancelotti has no faith at all in either of those two. Or very, very little faith in either of those two. And so if you are going to have an alternative striker, to be honest, Gareth Bale is your best bet. Maybe better than Luka Modric. Yeah, yeah and, and you know they've played Asensio as a false nine. That didn't entirely work. Isco, it didn't really entirely work. You know, you can move wide attacking players into that position. I suppose with Bale, you are doing that, although it feels, he feels more of a number nine than, than say, for example, Rodrigo or, or Asensio. And you can yeah. do that, but it's not really going to work. And, and you look, the reality is this is an alternative or maybe an accompaniment to Benzema in extreme circumstances. It's not someone who's going to take Benzema's place off him. I liked Ancelotti today. He was asked about, have you got dependency on Benzema? And he said, yep, I'm very pleased to have dependency on Benzema. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I agree with Carlo. Uh, we don't usually talk about the Friday night game. It kind of usually uh, passes us by. And obviously, we're not going to dwell on the specifics of this one because, I'll be honest, I only watched the first half. You didn't watch any of it. You were in Oviedo. But Papu Gomez came back for Sevilla as they beat Granada 4-2. He came on and played the last 20 minutes, scored a, a 99th minute goal as well. He is really, really important for this Sevilla side. And I think they've missed him in the, in the couple of months he's been out. Yeah, uh, and I think the truth is he's more important than we realised. Or more important than I realised, I don't necessarily want to speak for you. Uh, but I, I, you know, you could see that he did things that were slightly different. You could see that he was a very interesting player, that, that he changed, changed games a little bit. But I didn't necessarily see him as the person that that would change as many results as this. Now, look, obviously, look, in the next three, three or four weeks, he may well play and they may well still not win. But I think you're right. I think, I think he's become much more important than we realise. I think part of it is because he's actually quite a difficult player to define. And I think that feeds into the fact that he's a difficult player to defend. Because he's not really the wide attacker, even though he sometimes plays in that position. He's not really the interior of the midfield three, although he sometimes plays in that position. Um, he... he he kind of floats around. I think he's very clever. I think he uses the ball well. I think he he just... I think he understands the game pretty much, I would say, better than anyone in the Sevilla mm-hmm. team. Uh, Sevilla, who 
aren't going to win the league title. I think we, we, we know that. They're 12 points off, off Real Madrid. They have been Real Madrid's closest challenges for a number of weeks, but they're, they're falling away. But you know what? If they get Champions League again, it's, it's not a bad season for them, even though their fans will be massively disappointed if they finish fourth. No, it's not a bad season. I think, I think in a way, the disappointment there wouldn't come so much from La Liga as from the fact they didn't do better in the Europa League. Um, because I, th- I mean, there was a sense that this was a chance. It was a real chance yeah. this season. And you yeah. saw that in January when they kept Diego Carlos Absolutely. and brought in Martial. And it felt like, you know, we're going to go for it. And they've not been able to really keep yeah, that up. Exactly. And I, as I say, I think, I think there would have been an acceptance of them not winning the league. I think there still is an acceptance of them not winning the league. But I think that acceptance would have been greater if, in, if you like, in exchange for that, you know, that there had been a, a Europa League final in their own stadium or, or a Copa del Rey final. Lord help them if Betis finish above them. Yes. That is, that yeah. is yeah. Um, Betis also got the Copa del Rey final as well. I mean, we're talking about Sevilla. We're not talking about Betis, but such is the rivalry. It's a bit like Real Madrid and Barcelona. The, the success of one season is conditioned by what the other side does. Yes, well. absolutely. Um, so, uh, so there we go. Uh, before we go, uh, let's quickly mention what happened in the Segunda. The mighty Real Oviedo beat Leganes 1-0 to hold on to that last playoff spot. They're still sixth. Vamos, Oviedo. Uh, leaders Eibar lost 2-0 at uh, Ibiza, but second place Valladolid could only draw 2-2 at Malaga. And third place Almeria uh, would go above Valladolid with a win against Ponferradina uh, this evening. This week, there are some... Uh, other important European matches you might be interested in. On Tuesday night, we've got Real Madrid against Chelsea and Bayern Munich against Villarreal, both in the Champions League. And on Wednesday, it's Atletico Madrid against Manchester City. I can't believe I'm not in Madrid this week. I still can't believe it. I can't get over it. It's going to take a while for me to get over it. Then on Thursday, we've got Barcelona against Eintracht Frankfurt as well, with the score uh, poised at 1-1. So Barca by no means through already to the to the semi-finals of the Europa League. Uh, that's it, dear listeners, for this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. If you'd like to hear us talk more about Spanish football, you're in luck. We do so regularly at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It costs four euros a month and, well, hopefully it's pretty good value. If you'd rather just stick with us here on the Monday pod, that's fine. Uh, we'll speak to you next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Cheerio. 